You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 341. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey son, hey son, and it is the Andras that yes. is back, so I'm doing a little <laughs> dance here. Just so happy <laughs> to back. have you back! <laughs> Andras back, alright! <laughs> <laughs> this is the Ecstatic Singing Podcast, people, the ESP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss you guys. Yeah, um, we missed you too. We missed you too. Yeah. yeah. But I listened to the podcast and it and, oh, and let us know if it's any good. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. So I was thinking, do I need to come back actually? It's like I did an excellent show. Uh congratulations on doing that. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank Thanks, you. but we do need you. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do, we do. <laughs> Now it's really so uh, hyped also what's going on here in in the autumn. So we're all getting ready and packing for for Vienna. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. As we record this, it's about a week until my plane leaves. So what are you looking forward to most, people? Well, the next one, the, the closest one, which is... <laughs> no, which no, is, no. I mean, in Vienna. In Vienna, I think. <laughs> oh, in Vienna. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to see you guys. I didn't see oh, you yes. once. Like, I saw you again last in year, but I didn't see Pontus since 18. No, so. I mean, nobody has, actually. I'm invisible. Nobody okay. has seen Pontus. He <laughs> was Do too busy poking exist? the Pope. <laughs> right. No, I mean, there, there's a number of great sessions. And of course, I'm going to mention my session or the session that I initiated and have organized. And that's about uh, critical thinking in the classroom. I think that's it's a special topic that I Yeah, that I'm would burning be great. For. Yeah, mm. very important. I'm looking yeah. forward to a panel too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the one that I put together as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, there have been a couple of last minute changes. And there is a technical issue that we still need to figure out because uh, I managed to, to get an MEP on board with the whole thing. But Ooh. turns out that she cannot attend in ah. person. But she would really love to be there Ooh. online. So ch- well, let's uh, hope you figure that one out. It'll oh, be yeah, a, yeah. a, a little mm-hmm. bit of a challenge. Challenge, but great. Yeah, but it would be great because we we are talking about making uh, science based decisions in politics. So it's uh, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> pet topic. My pet topic. Speaking of which, speaking of politics, it's not necessarily um, skepticism related topic per se. But have you heard that uh, Mikhail Gorbachev died? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. I was, yeah, he was 91, though. So yeah, like a few people, I think I reacted. <laughs> he's still alive. Well. He's not yeah. now, but <laughs> but it was a long time ago, and it, yeah, it's yeah. really a death of an era. Absolutely. Quite literally, it is, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was an extraordinary guy. Interesting how famous and and how popular he is outside of Russia, and how unpopular he is in Russia. Well, he brought moment. about so, the whole Soviet Union collapse, if you want to put it that way. So if you have that perspective i guess you're not yeah. the fan yeah something that putin is trying to restore now and uh, <laughs> yeah yeah interesting connection that he was the one who had to deal with the chernobyl catastrophe as the leader of the country 
yeah. uh, when when it happened. And now the freaking Russians are shelling the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, the Zaporizhia power plant. Is, isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. those guys are out of their minds. Some people just want to see the world burn, quite literally. If you go back to my pet topic, I already mentioned like skepticism in the classroom or making sure that people have a good knowledge of yeah. history. Then uh, I think the soldiers who, who just trampled all over Chernobyl because probably they didn't know about it because mm-hmm. it's not something you hear about in uh, Russian schools. Some of them might not have even been born when the whole yeah. things happened. Right. It's, it's so often it's ignorance. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't legitimate any of that. Of course not. Yeah. It's no. still gruesome and horrible. While not making this it okay, it can explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So we would definitely give them uh, a couple of really wrongs and all the the terrible awards <laughs> for doing bad things. Just like um, Gorbachev got the Nobel Prize. Yeah. The Nobel Peace Prize, which I think was very well deserved. I think Putin has lost all chances of getting that now. <laughs> if he, yeah, if he ever so. had that plan. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, there was one thing I wanted to mention. I forgot. Uh, We talked about Vienna, but there's another event, of course, coming up later on. QED. Mm -hmm. So that that is Mm -hmm. also, that's a huge event. And it's between the 28th and the 30th of October. And we will be there too, just like we will be in Vienna. Definitely. And Mm -hmm. certainly we will be getting involved, not just as normal attendees, even though we all bought our tickets, just like anybody else. But things are being discussed and not everything can be mentioned yet because it's not official. Uh, We are working on preparations. But well, I can tell you one thing because it became uh, announced today. I will sit in on one of the panels. So, but congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. About how to organize skeptics in the pub events. That's that's well deserved. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. And and I think there's more coming that, that we will be involved in as well. But what I wanted to say now to the listeners is there's one thing that every listener can do at this point, and that is to nominate people for the Occam Awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are two awards to consider. The actual Occam Award, which is for rewarding good skeptical activism, and it's defined on the website uh, that it should go to, quote, an individual or organization who has done outstanding work to promote critical thinking within the last 12 months. End quote. So th- that's the good prize. That's the one you want to win. And mm-hmm. last year it went to uh, Dr. Elizabeth Bick. And uh, winners in the past, and again I quote from the website, include Dr. Natalia Pasternak, Professor Edsard Ernst, the European Skeptics Podcast. Woo-hoo! Go back in 2017, yes. yes. <laughs> the Say Why to Drugs Podcast. Brit Hermes and uh, the Edinburgh Skeptics Annual Skeptics in on the Fringe event and and more of course. Uh, so that's a lot of fine folks, present company excluded. Can you say that? But it's a lot of fine <laughs> folks that have won this, and um, it's it's a good thing. But then there's the other prize as well, of course, the bad prize that you can nom- nominate for, and that is the Rusty Racer. You don't want to win this one. Nominees for that one should be, quote, an individual or organization who has been the most prominent promoter of unscientific ideas in the last 12 months, end quote. So that includes people like Mike Yeadon, Didier Raoul, Andrew Wakefield, and Gwyneth Paltrow, Mm -hmm. uh, and more, of course. 
And the link to QED is, of course, that the winners, the two winners, will be announced at QED, just like in the good old days before COVID. (laughs) (laughs) The last couple of years, we've just had to see it online. But now it is a proper announcement. And uh, maybe even the actual winners will be there, at least the good winners, if you will. (laughs) Not the rusty ones. <laughs> yeah, so, yes. go nom- so go nominate and we'll put the link in the show notes on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I will nominate someone. Ooh, <laughs> That's very the, good. The Innovation and Technology Minister of Hungary. Oh, I will yeah. definitely, yes. definitely <laughs> nominate him. Definitely a rusty razor for that one. He, I, got, <laughs> he got the really wrong award, right? The really wrong. And I, yeah, I was so happy to hear you guys explaining <laughs> all that. But the storm keeps raging on, actually, about all that. So back when you reported on, I think it was not known yet that there would be international outcry about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So there is an international organization called Climate Without Borders, and it's it's like an international network of uh, meteorologists, uh, weather presenters, and, and all that. And 76 members from 48 countries expressed their solidarity. Mm. with the fired weather forecasters, the, the leaders of the Hungarian National Meteorological Service. And now, to top all that, the freaking minister decided to put someone in place. He appointed uh, someone by the, who goes by the name Laszlo Hanyets to lead the uh, weather for service. And he used to be the vice president for economic affairs mm-hmm. because he's the only person in the leadership who doesn't have a degree in meteorology. <laughs> and he's leading the organization well, now. We, we made the comment last week that they fired the top meteorologists and now they have to do without any top <laughs> meteorologists. So I guess it's... Exactly. Mm. And there were 15 of the leading meteorologists in the organization putting out a statement. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. But this guy was the only one in the leading position who didn't sign it. <laughs> So that's, he was that's the his qualifications. Mm. Exactly. Is that a <laughs> he was the go-to guy for the government mm-hmm. to accept this because of course this is what we need to do. Ah shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Anika, tell us something uplifting. Okay, I will. I will. I mean, we of course we will follow the storm uh with the meteorologists yeah. because that's outrageous. But I want to tell you something that's happy and cool. Yay! <laughs> and that's me. Ha <laughs> ha. No, um, I actually took part in a story writing competition. Wow. Okay. Called Young Storyteller Award by Story One. That's a German, I think Austria-based publishing house. And the thing is that if you're participating there and putting in a collection of short stories, they will make a book for you out of it. Ooh. <laughs> Nice. So you are now a published author. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's, it's not a manuscript. It's not a novel. It's, as I said, just a collection of 13 or 14 uh, short stories. I mean, all written by you. But all written by me, yes. Wow. That's very <laughs> impressive Amazing. in itself. Yeah. And a chance of it getting out in uh, English so that we can read it as well. Um, not with this publishing house, but I think they are working on an English uh, site. And if they ever, ever do that and actually open up their site in English, then um, I will happily publish that in English too. Of course. Mm, that okay. would be great. Nice. That is something to look forward to. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was it was really nice to ride. It was really exciting. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Very impressive. <laughs> thank you. Something I also found really impressive is that we got an email about how to pronounce the city where the hunger stone in the river turned up. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. By yeah. Our listener Pavel Schmeichel, who also was on the podcast before. Yes. And I'll just show you guys and our listeners how it's pronounced. Greetings from Prague to all skeptical comrades. You are pretty close, Annika, but the correct pronunciation of the name of the town where the hunger stone appeared is Dzechin. See you in Vienna. Ooh, see you in Vienna. That's good. <laughs> Thank Dechin. you, Pavel. <laughs> right, we'll have to practice that pronunciation all the way down to, to Dechi, Vienna. I think. <laughs> <laughs> don't make him send another one. Oh, he will. <laughs> <laughs> Including his name, probably. Sorry if I butchered your name, Pavel. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, but uh, shall we? Shall we crack on with our um, with the rest of the show? The introductory yes. part is becoming longer and longer <laughs> as, we, as we go on. Right. All right. So uh, why don't we move on to Twish, also known as This Week in Skeptical History. And today I'd like to celebrate someone who's been playing a very important role in um, building and maintaining the European community of skeptics in its uh, current state. He's a podcaster, an educator, speaker, a budding author, and an all-out wonderful guy. Although he likes to refer himself as, uh, quote-unquote, just a finance guy, he's actually rather well-informed in many scientific topics. He has been the president of the Swedish skeptical organization Wetenskap oh, Building. <laughs> Since 2018, and a board member of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations since uh, 2017, and as such, a member of the organizing committee of the upcoming 19th European Skeptics Congress to be held in Vienna between 9th and 11th of September this year. The guy's name happens to be Mr. Pontus Beckmann from Malmö, Sweden. Well, okay, I was a bit suspicious because it wasn't in the script. It just said 2BD. And I think, okay, what? It's 2B determined. Well, can't, can't you just put it? I thought Anders was just lazy. Okay. <laughs> so the guy was born on the 1st of September 1964, if I'm not mistaken. So Pontus, my friend, Happy birthday and many happy returns. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. They tell <laughs> me I was born on 1st of September in 1964, but I don't remember. I was just a little yeah, child. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, now I could have added that uh, you would be on the panel on how to organize skeptics in the pub events as well at QED in Manchester at the end of October. Before we finish off with this, allow me to paraphrase a very commonly used expression that we use in Hungary, which is may God save you for long and mix it somehow with both science and a bit of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I think in person you have guys probably heard it from me, but it goes... May the blind forces of selection be with you and favor you and your genes for long. Ah, thank you very much. You know, I will do my best. I will. I favor my genes very much, so I will make them last as long as I can possibly do that. Thank you very much, Anders. I was unexpected. <laughs> Happy birthday, my friend. <laughs> Happy birthday, Pontus. <laughs> thank you very much. And thanks for all the work that you're doing. I mean, that's all amazing. Well, we so, all chip in. Yeah, keep it up. <laughs> But one of the most important things, the mission of yours that uh, we need to turn to now is poking the Pope. So, Pontus, 
it's time for you to poke him. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes, I will poke him. Uh, and to start with, I will say that Pontus was right. Woo. <laughs> uh, so I put forward the idea last week that Kirill, the Russian Orthodox patriarch, so what I, I refer to him as Putin's Pope, he may not want to talk to Francis at all in the trip that they were both going to take to Kazakhstan. So this is where the world summit of all religions are happening in September. I, all religions, I guess. The prominent ones. And as I said last week, it would be very strange if the Vatican didn't try to set up a meeting between Frankie and Kirill. They were already going to be in the same place. Frankie has wanted to talk to Kirill for a long time about the Russian war against Ukraine because Kirill is very much in support of Putin and this war. But... Back to the part where I was right. Wouldn't you know it? The very day <laughs> after our recording, it was announced that Kirill had changed his mind. He has cancelled his trip to Kazakhstan altogether, won't go there at all. So rather than going there and risk meeting with Frankie, Kirill took his ball and decided to stay home. And um, that's interesting. And interesting as well is how Frankie reacted to that. Pope Francis did not like this at all. And you know he's very careful not to criticize Russia in public or openly. This has always been seen because he wants to keep the door open for him playing maybe some kind of mediating role with Russia, negotiating even. I've never believed that that's a good idea, but I think popes have a legacy of trying to want to do that. But now... The gloves have come off because since Kirill didn't want to go there, Frank is not playing Mr. Nice Guy anymore. On Tuesday, the Vatican released a statement saying that Frankie unambiguously condemns the, quote, large-scale war in Ukraine initiated by the Russian Federation, end quote. And that is more direct than Frankie has ever been about this conflict. And I see this about as a, any conflict, actually. Any conflict, <laughs> but he, especially about this, it's been very, very, maybe though, no, no, <clears> yeah, yeah. it's bad with war is always bad and blah, 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 but it's not. Don't hurt to each other. No, please think <laughs> about the children and all of that, which is, I mean, <laughs> not wrong, but he hasn't really taken sides, but now he apparently has. And in his way, I, th I think this is a big bird flip to Kirill. And I guess it's goodbye to all hopes that Frankie will play any role in any negotiations. So good for him. I mean, finally, he's, he's saying what he's thinking. I think. Oh, how I would love to see an anim gif uh, with the bird flip from, from <laughs> Frankie to Kirill. Well, it's listeners, like, if you have any skills in creating GIFs, maybe that's a challenge for you all. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. Would, oh, we yeah. would put it on the website. No problem. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right. Uh, in other news, Frankie, as planned, has created 20 new cardinals this weekend. And, and I said created cardinals. Yes, that is the proper verb that you should use, apparently. And it is a long-standing joke in, in Italy that only... God can create. <laughs> only God and the Pope can create something out of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
But he, he did create 20 new cardinals. It actually was meant to be 21, do you remember? But um, there was one called Lucas van Looy. I haven't looked that pronunciation up, but Lucas van Looy. He was, um, is the former bishop of Rent in Belgium, which we have visited when it was the last previous European Skeptics Congress. He mm-hmm. did not accept the appointment after it was announced a few months ago. Van Looy turns 81 next month, so he's getting on there. He's past the age where cardinals are allowed to vote in a future conclave to elect a new pope when that time comes. So it's not that important that he didn't accept. But we should remember that Frankie himself, he's 85. He's going on 86 in December. So a conclave may not be that far off. Anyway, Van Looy declined because he has received a lot of criticism for mishandling sex abuse allegations from people in his diocese. Not that he was the perpetrator, but he hasn't handled the allegations well. And he said, uh, I don't want to take this uh, <laughs> cardinal role because people may be offended. So that was good on him in a way. Yeah. The other deal with all the rest of the 20 cardinals, it went according to plan. Francis uh, did like he has done in the past. He took the new cardinals to visit Benedict afterwards, the resigned Pope Emeritus, if you will. And there was a rumor that Frankie would present new rules this weekend about how to handle a resigned Pope, because there are no rules. The, the, The thing has never come up, really. What should they be called? Should they be Pope Emeritus? Should they be called just an ordinary cardinal again? What's the deal? But nothing was presented regarding this. Yet Frankie this weekend also visited the town of L'Aquila and the tomb of Pope Celestine V, the only pope before Benedict who has resigned by his own decision. A lot of them have been forced to resign in the past, but this guy, he decided he didn't want to do it. Going against God's will, by the way. Right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. right. Still Mm. didn't stop Benedict to resign in 2013. And and, and Celestine V, he resigned in 1294. So that's going back a long time. (laughs) The reason I bring all this up is that we'll see what Frankie does in the future. But it certainly seems like there is at least a possibility that he too will resign at some point because he's visiting this tomb of Celestine V, like Benedict also did. And there's rumors about him thinking about what do you call a former pope, an (laughs) ex-pope. And the ex-pope, what do you call him? What rules apply? And that may mean that he's thinking about resigning himself. We don't know. It's just speculations. For this week, he's still the Pope. And uh, we will report back next week in his new adventures and what's happening going forward. Imagine like half a dozen ex-popes lining up and refusing to die and just <laughs> just <laughs> being put into position of Pope Emeritus or something with signs put on them, handle with care. I don't know. (laughs) Popes, what what do we call that in plural? Pope Emeritus? Popes Emeriti, maybe? (laughs) I think Popes Emeritus, probably. Yeah, it depends on only one of them. Pope (laughs) Emeriti, or something like that. Los Papas Emeritas. (laughs) Los Papas. (laughs) Non habemus Papa. (laughs) Habemus multum Papas. Yeah. (laughs) Oi, (laughs) oi, (laughs) oi. All right, 
thank you very much for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. Thank you. That leaves us with the news. I want to tell a story that is a pretty classic one in that regard, and that is that there's a really interesting uh, so-called doctor that was a specialist in general surgery. So far, so good. But he was active for years in so-called alternative medicine, also abbreviated as SCAM, and <laughs> has also been caught now forging vaccination certificates. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. And he's called Dr. Aryeh Avni. It's probably pronounced a bit wrong. So You know what to do, people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know the drill. <laughs> yeah, he's from Israel. He has worked in Israel and was one of the most prominent Israelis casting doubt on the existence of COVID, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He tried to have a party called Rappé, that's heal in, in English, and wants to establish a new health ministry, wants to yeah get alternative medicine into everything, basically. And the problem is that he is, as a district court judge called Nimrod Flax said, he is, quote, a doctor who chooses to conduct a delegitimization campaign of this kind, excludes himself and is behaving in a manner unbefitting a licensed doctor, unquote. Mm. And that's why they actually revoked his medical license. And interestingly, he sees himself as being on a mission and having to fight the good fight. Yeah, I think that's that just really shows the Dunning-Kruger effect in that regard. <laughs> like, mm. Dr. Avni is a smart person, but he is very deep in the trench of alternative medicine. But of course, we can only applaud the judge for revoking his medical license. Yeah. Because as yeah. Edzard Ernst puts it, it is safer to not have anti-vax doctors in clinical practice. That's just what right. it is. It is. I mean, Israel was very aggressive when it came to the vaccination program. They, they yeah. vaccinated people very, very much. So I, I guess he felt a bit lonely, this doctor. I can't try to pronounce his name even. I would say Avni. Okay, Avni. Dr. Avni. Former Dr. Avni. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, good riddance of him. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's only one thing that you have to have trustworthy people giving our health health related information to the public right the other thing is that it has to be, has to have a receiving end as well that is ready for the challenge of distinguishing between fake and true health messages so this is what uh, researchers at um, Komenius University in Bratislava and the Slovak Academy of Sciences in Bratislava Slovakia did try to determine Focusing on young people, especially people between the age of 16 and 19. And they managed to get 300 of those students on board, secondary school students. And they tried to assess how well they can differentiate between true and fake online health messages. There were seven different types of online health messages that fell into three main categories. The three main categories were fake messages true messages that were unaltered and true messages that were altered in terms of um, the presentation, like editorial changes have been made. The, the changes were superlatives used, clickbaits used, grammar mistakes applied, 
authority appeal applied or bold typeface applied. <laughs> so th those are actually ad really only editorial elements, if you think about it. The results have been very, very interesting because although most of us tend to think that young people are less vulnerable to misinformation, disinformation online because they are the generation that actually grow into this and they are growing up being able to use the internet readily. But this research doesn't make you feel very satisfied with what the situation is. So although 48% of the participants trusted the true neutral health messages more than the fake ones, 41% of them couldn't differentiate between the two aye, of them. Aye, aye. Yeah. And what's even more concerning is that 11% thought that the true neutral health messages were less trustworthy than the fake health messages. But he didn't use the bold font. <laughs> exactly. So the thing is that it looks like the editorial elements didn't really play a, a role in assessing the truthfulness of the message. There was one of the editorial elements that made a difference, and that was clickbait. So a clickbait wow. <laughs> title did raise an alarm. So it did raise a red flag. It said, okay, oh, so oh, they that, could that recognize is... that that was clickbait. Yes, but the thing is, that was still a true message. Ah. So the editorial elements were applied on the true messages. So oh, okay. very interesting, very interesting results. And um, Dr. Radomir Masaryk, who's the principal investigator in the study, he says that analytical thinking and scientific reasoning are skills that help distinguish false from true health messages. So that's what we need to focus on. He suggests that uh, health literacy and media literacy training should be included in secondary education of teenagers because it's so important. So we tend to think that elderly people are more vulnerable to all this, but it's not necessarily the case. And we have to remind ourselves that even when fake news and fake health messages are being trusted by young people, it could still lead to poor health-related choices, right? Mm -hmm. And that could affect their whole life. Yeah. So uh, it's very alarming. Uh, there are limitations to this study. First of all, because of the age range, there were much more female students participating than, than male students and all that. But um, it's something that needs further investigation, I'm sure. Yeah. But I might have the solution for you, Andras. Okay. Yeah, so let me Go come ahead. with some good news for a change. <laughs> Long-time listeners may remember the term pre-bunking. Mm -hmm. as opposed to debunking. So pre-bunking means that you try to inoculate people against misinformation before mm -hmm. they have even heard about it. So that's pre-bunking. Debunking, of course, is when you try to do something about it after the fact that a person has already fallen for and believes in something that is a myth or is fake. Yeah, but, trying to put out the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So it's much more efficient to try to do it in advance, like pre-bunking. So two people that we have interviewed over uh, about this over the years are researchers Sander van der Linden and uh, Stephen Lewandowski. They have done a lot of fantastic work in the area, and they're not just excellent skeptics, but they are also groundbreaking academic researchers regarding on how to counter fake news and disinformation. So these two, together with a colleague called John Rosenbeck, 
have developed and tested five short videos that described commonly used logical fallacies when spreading disinformation. First, they tried this in the lab, and I wonder how big lab they had, because it was over 6,000 people in that lab. So <laughs> I don't know what they mean. It must be the metaphorical lab. And uh, the results were very good compared to a control group uh, when they later asked these people to evaluate a series of unpublished social media content examples that either did or did not make use of misinformation techniques. So that was the first, the lab experiment. They then took the next step and tested this on YouTube in a big scale. So one million Americans were exposed to and watched one of their films. And later they surveyed these people to test their ability to identify a manipulation technique in a news headline. And again, the people who had seen this video did a lot better than a control group. And the results are so good that Google is now going to run an ad campaign using similar videos in September this year. The campaign will be run in Poland and the Czech Republic to counter disinformation about refugees within the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. So, actual science to combat fake news and misinformation. That is good news. Yeah, praise be to the researchers and praise be to Google for for, for doing it. Yeah, that's good because... I mean, these guys are working not just very scientifically about that. They are also managing to get the social media companies on board. I I know they're talking with Facebook as well and and others. And if you want to hear our interviews with uh, Van der Linden and Lewandowski, you should check out our episodes number 180 and 247, respectively. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we just said that Google did a great job, and now I have to take a bit, like give Google a bit of shade again, and I'm Uh-oh. a bit sorry about that, <laughs> because Google decided to air quote airbrush, pun intended, emissions from flying. Uh-huh. How did they do that? Exactly. <laughs> so they they took photographs and they then edited out all the chemtrails. Exactly. They photoshopped That's how them. you airbrush oh. out the emissions from flying. Exactly. Okay. That's how they did it. Didn't no, think what of that. actually is, mm-hmm. um, happened was that now flights look way less impactful. Like they don't look as environmentally hazardous anymore. And that's uh, because Google decided to take a lot of data out of their flight calculator. They Mm. have a calculator that tells you how much of an impact your flight will take. And they decided to now only calculate it with CO2. So mm-hmm. they changed, oh. they pretty much changed, uh, like, I think in skeptical environments, we would say they moved the goalpost. Yeah. But why? Well, they said it, uh, they talked to their, or oh, let, let me get the direct quote. They said they made the changes following recent discussions with academic and industry partners. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I don't want to, like, yeah. producers. I don't want to say anything about it, but you know, really, like I'm not saying anything about Google because we don't know what happened. What? But yeah. <laughs> what percentage of change are we talking about? Well, I'll just give you like a number that I can see in a diagram, and then you can see what I mean. For example, before the change, the number is 1,070 kilogram of CO2. And after 
uh, the change it's 521 so your flight looks in this example in the diagram your flight looks only half as impactful only half as bad in a way <laughs> and while they didn't they, they, they didn't throw co2 out of the window themselves it will influence customers they will decide to take that flight because it's not that bad. So, yeah. so where, where do people see these calculations? Apparently, you see that if you find a flight on Google and then you will see Google Flights and there it will, there it will show you that. And it also, some booking pages like booking.com or Expedia also go back to this Google Flight calculator. Uh -huh, and use their data that just as usual yeah a lot of lot of yeah. uh, websites Trip do advisor, that for example too i mean i could think of one thing because i've noticed because i do a lot of flying which uh i probably should be ashamed of given yeah, the current hey, situation this is of your the world. job like what should you but, do but yeah it's it is but it should be probably i should you find, can't find go a there by job. boat <laughs> but i've noticed that a lot of aircraft that we fly on are different. So we used to fly on Boeing 777s, for example, and now the same flights are done on uh, Airbus A350s, mm -hmm. which are much more fuel efficient. Yes. So they emit a lot less carbon dioxide, but it's not going to be 50%. Mm -hmm. It's going to be like 17 or 18% less. Yeah. But this doesn't account for, for all the change that we see yeah, with, uh, with Google's I think calculations. That's exactly it. I think the problem is that, and they also say that in the article that I've read to prepare for this news item, flying affects the climate in more ways than just CO2 emission. <laughs> for one, it's mm. it's not only CO2 that yeah, it exactly, emits, but exactly. also... Even if uh, you think about the contrails, like even the contrails and, warm up the US. Exactly. <laughs> Water yeah. vapor, contrails, so the clouds yeah. that are being formed that reflect the sunlight. So it's it's much more complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> But what I still want to add Shame is on that, <laughs> that like while flying, well, we all should think about flying, and it's something that us as in an individual person can do, is that aviation is responsible for about 3.5% of the warming caused by human activity. So yes, it is there. It's a number, but it's 3.5. Yes, we yeah, should think about flying, but there are also other things we should think about. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Other ways of transportation as well are yeah, well, or like other burning of fossil fuel fuels. Concrete manufacturing is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, have the numbers, it is. but it's huge, bigger than that, than three point five. All right. Thank you very much, and that brings us to the end of the new segment, which means that we need to find out who's been really wrong lately. Yes. And it's uh, from my country. <laughs> mm, okay. Don't sound so happy. I'm not. I'm actually that. pretty sad yeah, about that. Yeah, we're all idiots. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about homeopathy again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because What else in Germany? Come what on. What else? Information <laughs> network homeopathy are already up on the wall and everyone's mm. speaking about it. Because the Green Party leader, Lena Schwelling... She says that the fight about homeopathy is completely exaggerated. She says humans should decide and their federal country's health minister, Mane Luka, also a Green Party member, they both think that alternative medicine and homeopathy are important and that you should just be able to choose and that it also should still be in the insurances. She says 
we're only talking about 0.003% of all the costs of insurances. So why bother, basically? Like, why is still bit- too much? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, just, it's, like, it's exactly of that amount too much. That's, yeah. like, that's of course paraphrased. <laughs> but I got to say, I wear glasses and I'm not covered by insurance, although they work 100%. <laughs> While homeopathy is not working. It's working 0% or like not beyond placebo effect. Yeah. And it's covered. Right. And that's just unfair and it's stupid. <laughs> It is. And she's yeah. just saying like, oh, what's the issue? It's like, well, it's so diluted. Like, why why are we bothering? Just mm. stop your crusade against homeopathy and let's just crusade. let just homeopathy be. <laughs> Interestingly, Green National Party leader Ricarda Lang already distanced herself from that. Ah, so she's like in a, in a press conference in Hanover. She said, we have a party decision. And I stand by it as our Green Party National Member of Parliament. And she distanced herself from the federal country leader, Lena Schwelling. And mm, yeah. I just say, like, I just have to say, even if you think it's like, what's the issue? Why bother? It's just like that little thing. No, as long as people take homeopathy instead of important medication, there is an issue. They, yeah, of course there is. I mean, if nothing else, they're spending money on something that doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. But the more problematic thing is that they're taking it instead of medicine exactly. that does work. Yes, exactly. And the other thing is that these kinds of attitudes, the spreading of these unscientific ideas, is what gives the green movement and the green parties all over the place the bad name, yeah. because yes. they stand by stupid idiotic things like this exactly that was actually my first thought of course the greens you know (laughs) and it's sad because i'm a person i really like the environment i like animals i like nature i like the forest you know but the greens are for me unvotable because they disregard um basic science basic science like if if you think about gene food if you think about that it's just like i can't vote for them no same here (laughs) yeah 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 so for shooting themselves and the environment and everyone in the foot (laughs) (laughs) and for talking out for homeopathy lena schwelling and her health minister manaluka received this week's prize for being really wrong Mm -hmm. that is well deserved but i would say I i have a positive take on that Anybody who claims to be the victim of a crusade are feeling threatened, right? So if homeopathy is feeling threatened in Germany, then that's a good sign in a way. that's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a good point. Okay, thank you very much for that, Annika. And that leaves us with nothing else to finish the show on but a quote. Yes, and our quote this week is by an anonymous person. It's short and sweet, and it goes back to this week's twish. And the quote is, it's scientifically proven that people who have more birthdays are older. (laughs) Okay, that is correct. You can't argue with that. It is. You can argue with that. (laughs) <laughs> and on that note, I'd like to wish you a happy birthday again, Pontus. Uh, before we name any names, can we just move on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this has been fun. And I uh, hope it was for our listeners as well. Yeah. I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for uh, allowing me to come back and join you. Anytime. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Many thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Actually, I, I never do two times. Um, I'm, I'm just doing 1.5. Yeah, doing 1.5 too. I, I think... It's ridiculous. Even even podcasts like, like the SGU, when you start listening to it norm, with normal speed... Yeah, you think they're like, on drugs. Oh, come on. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, Say it. Yeah, yeah, we should remember that when we meet people who listen to the show, we need to talk faster than normal because they're expecting it. <laughs> it was so funny to see your face and just to like to see the penny drop. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was, I, you know, since it wasn't on the script, I opened a, 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 another window on my computer and started to take notes because I wanted to put in for who the hell is this guy into the thing because it goes into the show notes. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Hello. <laughs> hey, Luna. Hello. Hello, Luna. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello.